But finally, oh wait, I know. I, I just realized what, which one you're using for the half, and I think you're objectively right on that. Wait, which one? Which one am I using? The main event's the half. The half match. No, I'm actually not. I'm actually using it for the for the opener. Really? I like the Rockers and Haku and the Barbarian. Oh, Listen, you, and you know what? You know what else I liked? And fuck you both. I like Jake Roberts and Rick Martell. Fuck you both. I liked it. I didn't say that I didn't like I, David, it. I, David, I don't give a shit if you liked it or not. Fuck you. I liked it. We'll get there. For the record, it was <laughs> fucking stupid. But... <laughs> Great. What we do here is go back, 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 back. And welcome into episode 44 of the Two and a Half Marks podcast. My name is David Stabman, and as always, I'm joined by my good friends Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long as we rewatch, relive, and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week. And this week, shit, we're going right back to where we were two weeks ago, basically. We did WrestleMania 5 two weeks ago. And then, this week, the randomizer saw fit to give us WrestleMania 7, which is exactly the same thing, but the Persian Gulf War's going on. <laughs> so that's the main thread that's, of the, that's show. the only That is the only difference. Wait, 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 wait. We were supposed to watch WrestleMania 7. I thought I would watch WrestleMania 5 again. No, I mean, it's, it's basically WrestleMania 5, except now we've decided that instead of selling weapons to Saddam Hussein, we actually hate him now. Wait, 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 wait. I just watched war footage from the Iraqi war. Yeah, dude. I mean, this is, this is, so this, you know, the, the Persian Gulf War was immediately preceded in the 1980s by the Iran-Iraq War, which was a, a very long, protracted, over a decade-long war that ended in um, basically a stalemate. There wasn't really a satisfying conclusion for anybody. And Much like WWE known, booking. And, and it was noted <laughs> for... It's essential, essentially regressing towards like World War One era, like trench warfare tactics. Huh. So it's, I mean, it's basically just like the show in like every way. I, I, I'm finding out now through David's very brief commentary there that my knowledge of uh, late '80s, early '90s Middle East politics and uh, war is um, little to none. You should so do some reading, you, brother. They, they should um, do some I'm reading, brother. To- I yeah, need man. Some reading. You're right. I'm gonna stay in the dark because it just depresses me anyway. <laughs> yeah. One of the random topics. One also of the random fair. topics that I know a lot about is like Saddam Hussein era Iraqi history. <laughs> I just so ass- it very it very it fits very well with. I feel like job. I feel like that's kind of useful though. Like you can do some stuff with that. You I know, just assume that every like conflict that happened in the '90s was resolved by Hulk Hogan showing up, flexing, and then leaving. <laughs> Pretty much. Was, any even real life conflicts. Pretty much, like you ever, you ever, you ever hear about when we invaded Granada in the eighties? Like, no, they basically they they just sent Hulk Hogan in, and he leg dropped <laughs> everybody, and Ooh, that was that's it. A good and strat. That we won. That's a good strat. Yeah, that's an ace level strat. He's just but, hulking up in the face of bullets. Yeah, I mean, he, he ate his he ate his vitamins. You know, he said his prayers, and nothing no, nothing on you know God's green earth can kill him. He fears neither God nor man. He fears uh, losing trust with the Hulkamaniacs. <laughs> he does it all for the support of the little Hulkamaniacs all over the world. Uh, except in Granada, because he leg-dropped all of them, killed them, with his mighty with his mighty hamstrings smashing into their faces beefy. until they explode. Beefy. Those beefy legs. Brother, how much you thought that dude squat, man? He could easily squat over 600. Oh, oh easy. 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 
beefy boy. We love the beef. Where's the beef? Not in this card. <laughs> oh, it's all over this card, dude. There's a ton of beef on this there's card. There's a lot of beef yes. on this card. Yeah, there's there's beef, about... but there's not content. But yes, we are doing WrestleMania 7. We're right back in the same era, but there there is some, you know, some notable things that happen on this show, some very memorable moments on this card. And I've been really looking forward to going through it and talking about it, remembering some guys. So uh, what's going on, boys? Just living the dream, man. I have been busy all week. I officiate basketball for the state. And homeboy is tired tonight. Yeah. We'll, we'll put that tired in air quotes. But, uh, yeah, I'm, ex- I'm excited to kind of talk about this one just because, again, it's another WrestleMania that we will never have to watch again. And that's it. I'm I'm mad. I'm mad that we've got WrestleMania five and WrestleMania seven and we didn't get my I'm going to call it like my second favorite WrestleMania of all time. WrestleMania six because of everything that Hulk Hogan did on that show. Yeah, because you just love that one Hulk Hogan probe. Uh, Dude, I watch that every morning to get out of bed. This is where the power lies. All right. (laughs) All right, I'm good. Thank I'm you. also yeah. angry that Peacock <laughs> is going to be ruining our podcast that we've been working on for a year now. And oh, so, man. you know. Yeah, that is going to be one of those things where, yes. So I guess we might as well address it. Uh, the WWE Network is moving to Peacock starting uh, next week. The actual WWE Network website uh, is going to be ending and not going to be accessible anymore in the United States after like right before WrestleMania. So we have like a few more weeks left of all this stuff. And then we don't know exactly what's going to be available on Peacock. They have promised that everything that is currently up on the WWE network will be available on Peacock by SummerSlam. That of course is in August. So it's going to be one of those things where it may screw with our, our little game here. But we will we will play it by ear. We still don't know exactly what's going to be up when Peacock WWE launches. So we'll figure it out and we'll play it by ear. And we may just end up watching '90s All Japan shows for like three months. Ooh, there are worse things you could watch. I was yeah, gonna say we I mean, just book our sweet. entire like we just book a fantasy show and we commentate on it. Like we that play we, we we play the role of like Samoa Joe, Byron Saxton, Talking Shop Phillips. Mania. Yeah, do Talking Shop of Mania. We just narrate something that isn't even happening. Yeah, we'll do talk and shop a mania, except like not nearly as much charisma as any of those guys who are involved in that. So it'll just be dog shit. It's just yeah. me. It's me versus David in the main event. Yeah, it's going to be terrible. <laughs> Where I actually screw over David, David and align with Jake. Yeah, Connor, Connor Long makes an appearance, actually. Oh, God. Hey, he's not making any appearances for Muscleman High School's basketball team this year. Oh! Got his ass, little bitch. <laughs> okay. So, with all that being said, again, we're going to kind of figure out where we are once Peacock WWE is up, and we'll see what we'll, – we'll figure it out. We'll see. I don't know. The, the, the future is undecided here, but we will – continue to put out a show where we rewatch, relive and remember a different wrestling pay-per-view every single week in some form or fashion. We just might have to be watching like old TNA shows on Chinese <laughs> YouTube. So we'll do it. We'll figure it out. We'll, we'll get there. We'll cross that bridge when we come to it right now. We've got WrestleMania seven and I think it's time to remember some guys. Shall yes, we? Yes, it is. Let's okay. Go. Let's remember some guys, ladies and gentlemen, it is. 
March 24th, 1991. We are at the LA Memorial Sports Arena. Uh, what, what, what are you? Jake is holding his finger up. I think he has a, a factoid. Can we talk about why they're there? I was getting there. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, okay. we have a, I, I do have a note. Yes. We're at the LA Sports Arena in Los Angeles. We have 16,158 people in the crowd to see Hulk Hogan defend the honor of the red, white, and blue against the evil Iraqi sympathizer, Sergeant Slaughter, <laughs> which is one of the most insane angles in the history of wrestling. But here we are. This is where we are right here in 1991. We are at the height of the Gulf War. And this is this is what WWF is doing to just, you know, <laughs> get some get some heat out of pure, just nationalistic, jingoistic wartime <laughs> fervor. It's awesome. Now, as Jake was hinting at, the reason, you know, we weren't originally supposed to be at the L.A. Sports Arena. <laughs> this was originally scheduled for the L.A. Coliseum, but they didn't sell enough tickets. David, no, David, don't lie to the people. Okay. They, the WWF was actually afraid that the appearance of Saddam Hussein's close personal friend, Iraqi sympathizer, traitor to the United States of America, Sergeant Slaughter, would like they, they couldn't contain such a large crowd of of just ravenous like freaks that you know wanted to just rush him and tear him limb from limb. I mean, like the sight of this man would incite such just horror and bloodshed. That they felt the need to actually relocate it to a smaller facility that they could easily control the security situation. Thank you. Yeah. In real life, though, they didn't sell enough tickets, so they moved it to a. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, and this is at WrestleMania too. Like, Phenomenal. Like a few years before, they had like eighty billion Hulkamaniacs in the Silverdome, brother, to watch Hulk Hogan body slam <clears throat> Andre the Giant. But yeah, they've got sixteen thousand hundred fifty-eight here in the L.A. Memorial Sports Arena. And it is just, like we said, it's at the height of the Gulf War, and they are, you know, the whole main event is pure, you know, American propaganda. And it is everything, everything about this WrestleMania is leading into that theme. It is, everything is in American flag colors. It is just like the most naked, jingoistic American propaganda in the history of wrestling. Um, we have Gorilla Monsoon on commentary. He's going to have a rotating cast of color commentators throughout the show. We have Hacksaw Jim Duggan at one point. We have uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan for a lot of it. We have Lord Alfred Hayes at one point. We have Regis Philbin at one point in the main <laughs> events. But we'll we'll get through it. But it's most of the most of the show. It's it's Monsoon and Bobby Heenan, the classic uh, WWF combo. We have. Country icon Willie Nelson out to sing America the Beautiful. He does a, a better job than Rockin' Robin did at WrestleMania 5, I think we can agree. Well, no, I skipped yeah. it. <laughs> it wasn't great or anything, but it was, you know. Did you listen to it? Dude, yeah. I've told you. I've told you. I always watch and listen to every second of the show. I don't skip anything. I mean, does, it, does it make me a, bo- a bad podcaster that I don't watch everything? Um, debatable, <laughs> debatable. But I'm the one hosting. I'm the one going through all this shit. So fair, I, fair, I fair. might as well. It it would helps me do my job if I know everything that happened. Okay, okay. That's just that's just me though. So yeah, Willie Nelson sings "America the Beautiful" because as Jake pointed out on the last show, 
that we did. Uh, Vince McMahon hates the national anthem for whatever reason. <laughs> so we have Hacksaw Jim Duggan doing color commentary on the first couple of matches. He gets a big grandiose entrance. He is in full Uncle Sam cosplay. And he has a special two-by-four with a day painted all over it. This is the highest power level form of Hacksaw Jim Duggan ever ever observed in the history of wrestling. Um, and he gets on the mic and he says uh, a quote that has really stuck with me over the past few days since I saw it. Quote, Hulk Hogan is going to take it to Sergeant Slaughter like our troops took it to Saddam Hussein. And that is what this show is all about. So we start off with a tag match. It is Haku and the Barbarian, the heel team, taking on the Rockers, Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty, a slightly older and more confident Rockers than we saw at WrestleMania five. Uh, they get a pretty good reaction. And ladies and gentlemen, settle in because this is the first of 14 matches that are on the pay-per-view call. So, yeah. Electric. Gonna... All of them electric. We're just going to dig straight into this shit, man. We're just going to go hold on. How many, how many matches are we allowed to say I don't care about? <laughs> Honestly, like, looking through these, at least seven or eight. Okay, good, 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 good. Yeah, at least seven or eight. I'd actually say the back half of the card more so than the front half of the card. Yeah, I mean, there's some, there's honestly some, some decent stuff sprinkled throughout, but you know, yeah, if this was if this was roadblock into the line, I mean, yeah, it, it, that's the whole thing. It's, <laughs> we talked about this at WrestleMania Five. There's a lot of just random matches. Like, why is yeah. the Mountie versus Tito Santana on WrestleMania? <laughs> and what I really think it is is this is back at a, in an older generation of wrestling where. The money structure was different, and people were still basically paid off of live events. So I guess they wanted to get as many people a, a paycheck off the house as possible. So I get that. But you still end up with a lot of just random matches. For just, we, we get two people in there. There's no story. They just have a match that takes five minutes, and then that's it. And then they're shuffled out, and then the next two people come in. But we start off with a pretty good tag team opener the rockers taking on haku and the barbarian and it is uh the athletic high flyers the rockers against the big power guys haku and the barbarian uh the rockers do a bunch of double teams they hit a double super kick on the barbarian they do a nice uh drop kick kind of assisted hurricane rana combo but then the big boys take over they get the heat on marty for a while, they do a move where they kind of like reverse power bomb him into the top rope. Uh, Barbarian hits a big power slam. Haku hits a couple backbreakers where he just kills the shit out of him. Um, Marty tries to come off the middle rope with a flying move, but Barbarian catches him out of the air with another power slam. It's one thing that you're always going to pop me with is if someone does a flying move and gets caught in a power slam. You're always going to pop me with it. I, I don't care what the situation is. I just always think that shit looks badass. It's a good spot. It's always a great yeah, spot. A great spot. I love it. Um, then Barbarian goes up to the top rope. He hits a, he uh, misses a top rope headbutt. Shawn Michaels gets the hot tag. He gets the big comeback. He hits a bunch of moves. 
They double drop kick Barbarian out of the ring. And then they do a combo move on Haku. Marty hits a missile drop kick, and then Sean hits a flying cross body. And Sean gets the pin. The Rockers win the match in 10 minutes and 33 seconds. WrestleMania 5, I thought we had a pretty good tag team opener that featured Haku. And same here. Like, go ahead, Jake. I was going to say, I actually like this match. So, fuck you guys. Oh, it's a good match. So, congrats. (laughs) You're shedding your gimmick of ironically hating everything. You would No, I don't ironically hate shit. It would suck good. I like it. I'm just sick and tired of y'all going, oh, yeah, no, that was fine. No, this shit sucked. No, this was good. This was good. Um, It was a classic opener. I thought the crowd was hot. Hot for it. And when uh, Sean, I think it was Sean that hit the crossbody, right, at the end? Yeah. Like, I've never seen a crowd pop so hard for a flying crossbody before, but I thought it was really good. I thought they did just the classic tag team formula, and since the crowd actually cared about the Rockers, it came across super cool. I liked it. Yeah, I mean, again, I think like what helps is like you hear you really hear the Rockers theme, which is a great theme. It also gives them like Again, I think we had them before. I think David, you might have comped them, uh, like London and Kendrick vibes to the Rockers. Just a lot of that similar energy of just like two smaller dudes who are really chaotic in the ring who just yeah. do whatever. Um, you, uh, but again, there's a lot of cool things here. Uh, even the Barbarian, someone that like I really wasn't expecting much from. Like he has a cool double clothesline. He goes to the top rope for a big big spot which again back then you might as well be doing like a double uh shooting star press <laughs> uh so and again like haku's another guy i'm never gonna like say yeah you know what i could do with a lot haku haku's a fun worker he's great i think he's a again he has that like great blend of having a good character having a presence in the ring um, it's a shame that we don't see him come up on the winning end in either of these wrestlemanias but he's definitely a guy that i would love to watch more of Janetti gets hung up on a rope, that, rope, which is a really nice, cool spot. A, a military press is always going to pop me. It's one of my favorite moves to watch. David, you talked about the catching somebody into a power slam. I love watching a military press. There's nothing quite like watching a large man <laughs> oh like lift God. another Angelo, man over Angelo, his head. Angelo's ideal match is just two big guys doing the test of strength spot. For no, 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 no. There's a difference between the test of strength and someone literally and getting then, put over. And then a military press and then one, two, three match over. <laughs> There are worse matches. But other than that, like, this match had pace. Like, I, again, a lot of times when we're watching these matches, especially this era, it's a lot of punches, it's a lot of kicks, maybe a slam if you're lucky. Uh, but here, like, you have a lot of, like, flying moves, you have a lot of kicks, like, super kicks, like, a move that you never really saw a lot of back then. And it's always a move that we enjoy watching now and never feels like it's not an impactful move, even if it's played up a whole lot more today. But again, I think this is a fun match. You had guys play their roles perfectly. You had the Rockers go over for the crowd. Good start, which I wish I could say bled into our next match, but it doesn't. Yeah, and I think what Angelo you say is crucial. You say that it moves with pace, and that's the yes. biggest thing about this match. I mean, you know, there are some there are some good moves in it. Yeah, and I you know I always pop for the catching guy out of power slam, and the Rockers do some flying stuff, and that's great. But it's not necessarily about moves. It's about the match having some pace. Because how many of the matches on this show have any sort of pace at all? Like, the main event, for instance, I don't know what you expect out of Hulk Hogan and Sergeant Slaughter, 
but it is 20 minutes of one guy lies on the floor and the other guy kind of slowly stops on. And there's no pace to it. it. You don't even have to be like doing moves, like it's doing something. all these fancy moves, but just kind of be doing so, like, like you have basically the entire match, two people actually engaged in doing stuff instead of <laughs> one person engaged in doing stuff. I will say this, and I got this input because my dad was looking over my shoulder while I was watching this. He said, like, even though it's not, like, pacey or anything like today, like I said, I told him, like, I don't get how anyone who watched this back then could say the stuff today is not more entertaining. He said the fact that it seemed more realistic. So, like, again, you do have these, like, sloppy fights that are, like, drag outs. That was kind of his point. I don't agree with it, but that's from his perspective, Some from someone that watched wrestling while this was live i don't sure, agree with if, it either but but if us but but if us if ufc, UFC was like a thing back then i can't talk if you if reggie if reggie bush was in wwf <laughs> I think. excuse me he's tired if folks the ufc was Sleepy a thing boy, back folks. Then, then sure but yeah. it's not like we had anything to compare this to. Correct. Right? I think that's like I, I think that's why his like point is valid in a sense, but also why it's less valid now. Angela, yeah. your dad's wrong. I oh no, I, dad, I tell but... my dad's wrong. I tell him he's wrong all the time. <laughs> I love your dad, and I want him to respect me, and I, I respect him. But <laughs> but I mean, he does have an interesting point as somebody who watched wrestling all. all, all yeah, that's fair. That's fair. You know, like. He did have that perspective of some of someone who watched this shit at the time. He was a big but, superstar Billy Graham guy. Ooh, that's that's like twenty that's years before this, bro. <laughs> <laughs> shit, but yeah, like, um, it is interesting. Like, you you hear people say like, "Oh, well, it was more realistic back then," and it kind of goes into the question that I asked at WrestleMania, the WrestleMania five, I think, when we talked about that was like, back then before we had watched you know before the ufc existed and we saw what actual fights looked like did people think that this is what a fight looked like and so maybe that's like like when you're watching it as a fan in 1991 you're thinking okay yeah this looks like a fight but you don't actually know what a real fight looks like yet because no one actually fights each other yeah that's how you maybe saw a scrap on like the playground the other day yeah, I don't know. That that's one of those that like it's it's a hard question to answer 30 years later. But for me, I don't think it looks realistic at all. Like in, in, in any way. But no. I also watch the UFC all the time. So I big don't know. Big UFC guy here. Very big UFC guy. Check out my blog at uh, big fight <laughs> uh fightgameweb.com. Yeah, that's where you cover UFC, right? Yes, that's where I cover the USC Trojans. Uh, Shut up. Really think that Keaton Slovis is going to have a big year this year. Got a whole I thing. Hate, I hate both of you. Thank you very much yeah. for your input. <laughs> but yeah, uh, pretty good opening match, though. I think we agree. And the Rockers go over and they win the match. So next up, we have guys. A, <laughs> a match. One guy we've already remembered. Just a freaking match. Back, uh, one guy we have remembered, but uh, I do want to mention backstage, we go to uh, a few of the celebs that are here. We're going to see these guys again. We have the late Regis Philbin is there. He's going to be like all over this show. Um, 
We also have featured there uh, Marla Maples, who I guess was a famous TV person at the time. Uh, two years later, she would get married to Donald Trump. Um, mm. And then there is also the great, rest in peace, to Alex Trebek. Mm. Uh, he is there. His mustache looks beautiful. Um, he's involved in a few segments here. He's actually great on this show. And he does this sort of like Jeopardy related comedy bit with me and Gene Okerlund. And then he sends it back to, to Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby the Brain Heenan. I love the fact, like, granted, I did not know who uh, Marla Maples was, and I still don't. But, like, having Regis and Trebek there, I feel like it helps sell the event as a big deal. Because those, I'm probably not back then, because. I don't know how big they were name brand wise, but for me watching it in the year 2021, it's like, oh, this is really cool. You have two re- relatively well-known celebrities like here and playing a role too. like Grant. You were never going to see Trebek do an elbow drop from the top rope, but the way they used him as like a guest interviewer announcer, I thought that was perfect. I think it's a great way to like incorporate some of that Hollywood feel to something that isn't maybe mainstream, which is what Vince always wants to do. He wants the WrestleMania to be a like inter whatever, but I, I, I loved it. I think having Regis and Trebek on the show ultimately made it more bearable. Yeah. And I sure. thought, I thought Trebek was great in what he did, but I'm a big Trebek Mark, you know, who is I'm it? A, big I'm Jeopardy a big Jeopardy guys. Guy. I'm a big Jeopardy guy. Who doesn't so. love Trebek? Everyone loves Trebek, and uh, man, it's R.I.P. R.I.P. to my man. It still makes me sad thinking about it. it. Still makes me sad thinking about how he's not here anymore. May he rest. But, may he rest. What is may uh, he rest? We go on to the first. Just okay. Here's a a match. It's just a random match. We cut back to the ring, and in the uh, ring, getting the jobber entrance. We have the French Canadian strongman Dino Bravo making his second straight appearance on a WrestleMania show for us. He is a little over or a little less than two years remaining until he is killed in a uh, mafia related hit. Um, and he is taking on, uh, I believe, making his debut on the show. Correct. Texas Tornado Kerry Von Eric. Uh, this is after, um, so t- Carrie Von Eric, of course, member of the just horribly doomed Von Eric family, the five Von Eric brothers who became mm. wrestlers, four of them died young. Uh, Kevin Von Eric, the only one who is uh, still remaining. And this is like the Von Eric family tragedy is like already midway through happening. David Von Erich, who was supposed to be the big star of the family, he died of a believed to be a drug overdose about seven years before their brother Mike had committed suicide a few years before this. Um, his brother Chris would commit suicide later on this year. Uh, by this point, Kerry Von Erich has had severe substance abuse issues. He had actually like gotten in an accident and had like the toes on one of his feet removed, which was like a, a, like a a big secret that nobody knew about until he died. And he would commit suicide himself a couple of years later. So like we're mid Von Eric family tragedy here, but he is working in WWF at this point. He's decently over. 
Um, and they do a, a quick kind of basic sort of sloppy match. Um, Dino beats him down for a while. Kerry gets his comeback. Uh, Dino hits a sidewalk slam, which was his finishing move. Kerry kicks out of that. Dino comes off the middle rope, but Kerry catches him in the Von Erich Iron Claw, lets him go, and then hits his discus punch. And Kerry Von Erich, the Texas Tornado, gets the pin in three minutes and 11 seconds. I was getting Texas Flair vibes from uh, Von Erich. I mean, I think I think he has like that presence. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's definitely over with the crowd, but like we didn't need this. This was uh, did not care. This was unnecessary. Yes. Yeah. On WrestleMania, come on, guys. Yeah. It's uh, not like and, this is Taker. It's not like this is Taker squashing Cena. You know. Yeah. And different type of squash. Like it's it's funny, Angelo, that you mention uh, your perception of Kerry Von Erich as like a Texas flair because. <laughs> It was his older brother, David, who was kind of groomed to sort of like possibly take over for Flair as the big star of the NWA in the 80s. He then died and then they put Carrie in his place and Carrie actually beat uh, Flair for the NWA title at Texas Stadium and then held the title for like three weeks and then dropped it back to Flair and then never held the title again. <laughs> but always bet on of, Flair. That was supposed to be David's spot. And then they uh, then they put Carrie in there after he died. But yeah, so Carrie Von Eric wins the match. Three minutes and eleven seconds. Next up, we got a couple big beefy boys Ooh. in this match. We have got two roided up men muscling down against one another. We have the British Bulldog Davy Boy Smith, a personal favorite of mine, who <laughs> backstage cuts a very dog related promo. He's got his pet bulldog, Winston, there with him. A very, very good boy that I hope had a good day. Um, he is taking on the Warlord, who is just... The Warlord looks like the Michelin Man come to life. <laughs> he is so large and so white and so puffy. His muscles are just so puffy and so round that he does not look like a real person. And... <laughs> This is basically just these two big boys being big against each other. Uh, Warlord puts him in the bear hug, which I'm sure Jake loved watching. Mm, he, hits, he hits a belly-to-belly suplex. Bulldog makes his big comeback. He hits a running cross body for a two count. Warlord cuts him off. Part of the story of this match was the Warlord, I guess, you know, this is what? 15 years before Chris Masters in the Master Lock, he also had a devastating full Nelson submission hold that nobody could break out of. <laughs> the question is, can Davy Boy Smith, the British Bulldog, who is also cycling heavy on anabolic steroids, break out of the Warlord's full Nelson submission hold? The Warlord puts him in the full Nelson, and Davy Boy muscles up. He breaks out of the full Nelson. He comes back. He hits his running power slam, and he gets the pin. Eight minutes and 15 seconds. Davey Boy breaking out of the hold, hitting his finisher, winning the match. Legit got a really big reaction from the crowd. Yeah, I mean, I think the best way to get a babyface over at any point is to have a dog with him. 
I mean, who doesn't love a dog? Especially like a nice, uh, good old American bulldog with, a, with that iconic look. Just a, it's very sm- it's a small dog. It's got a great face. Just looks like a silly animal. He uh, looks like a very he looks like a very nice boy, and I hope he had a good day. Very good boy. Also, you can't tell me you, you watched that promo and convince yourself that the British bulldog didn't clone himself with his son. Like we just had him on the last card, and they look exactly the damn same. That was- that was his only good promo ever, though. Yeah, I mean, Bulldog was not a was not a, a talker. No. But yeah, we did talk about. Yeah, it's it's interesting because like two shows ago we had British Bulldog. Last show we had Davy Boy Smith Jr., David Hart Smith, and then now we have again Davy Boy Smith. We're on a run of Smiths. It's all right. We have an even weirder three Pete coming up later on. Oh, um, but like the one thing I do hate about this era is that everyone's like big move that's not a finisher is just repeated elbow drops <laughs> and it's just like okay cool how many times are we gonna hit this one five all right is he gonna get yeah. up and miss no. oh oh he missed it that time okay awesome <laughs> so what were the four before uh awesome. nothing yeah. uh funny funny you mentioned five consecutive oh that's oh, a I, yeah that's a number well at least diving <laughs> elbows have like some gr- grandstanding with them this is just like I'm just gonna go off the ropes and give you an elbow. Who cares? You wanna you want a fun fact about the British Bulldog and Warlord? They're two big yes. dudes who can't work. They fought at every pay-per-view in nineteen ninety one. Wait, really? Yep. Every pay-per-view there was a there was a <laughs> British really? Bulldog Warlord match. Look it up. Did they no bullshit? Yeah, look <laughs> it up. No joke. Fuck. No joke. They fought at every single there were five, I think, at the time. So SummerSlam, I think were, Rumble. I think there were four. I think there were only four. Actually, no, yeah, there were five that year. SummerSlam, and there should have been like, uh, no, it wouldn't have been in your house. I'm, I'm looking at, I'm looking it up, okay. Royal Rumble 1991. Okay, yeah, they are, uh, they're both in the Rumble, I guess. Oh, okay, maybe that's what it was. I'd say that still counts. Sure, yeah, I mean, I think they, they, they were. I, I guarantee you that they, like, faced off and in some way forced an elimination on one another. Yeah, I, I think they, they do appear to have been in the match at the same time. Okay. Um, SummerSlam, British Bulldog, Ricky Steamboat, and Kerry Von Eric versus Power and Glory and the Warlord, six-man tag. <laughs> okay. Survivor Series, I'm looking. Uh, yeah, four-on-four match, Ric Flair, the Mountain, okay. Ted DiBiase, and the Warlord versus Roddy Piper, Bret Hart, Virgil, and the British Bulldog. And then the last match was, okay, last show was this Tuesday in Texas, British Bulldog versus the Warlord. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Shout out, listen, listen, I got to shout out What Culture because that's where I read that. But still, I was like, every single pay-per-view in 1991 had British Bulldog versus Warlord in that's some so way. Cool. Also, the, so sh- cool. the shittiest full Nelson ever. The shittiest mm-hmm. film else ever. Like, there's no selling to it. It's just two guys standing there with one guy having underhooks in. It's like, come on, <laughs> at least sell it a little bit. Like, yeah, act like that shit hurts, you know? Act like yeah. that shit hurts. Act like you're trying to have some medicine. Don't, don't, don't stand there like, oh, I got you now. I got. Yeah. We're gonna stand here for like three minutes. Like, yeah, ugh. Warlord is just Warlord is just making a face like he needs to shit, and then Rose just standing there, <laughs> and then he breaks out of it, and it's like, all right, and then we well, move we on. Get the thing. So yeah, British Bulldog over the Warlord. Next up, we have our first of three championship matches on the show. We have the tag team titles on the line. The Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, and Jim the Anvil Neidhart are defending against the Nasty Boys. 
And they show what appears to be a young Macaulay Culkin at ringside for this match. They Can confirm. Up, they don't put up a graphic or anything, but he's there. Um, and I guess in 1991, he was a big famous guy or a, a big famous child. I there, was, there was a one-year period where I kept calling him McCulkin Cully because I forgot <laughs> that that was his name. <laughs> that's so cool. The McCulkin Cully. That's his, that's his name now. I don't make the rules, brother. McCulkin Cully, baby. Uh, this match is essentially, as you might expect, it is Brett the Hitman Hart, one of the great workers of all time, uh, basically carrying the shit out of the entire match. Uh, he is in there for almost the entire thing. Um, he is basically selling for all of it. The nasty boys get the heat on him for, seems like, most of the match. Uh, they put him in the camel clutch, they beat him down. They do the spot where Brett gets the tag, but the ref doesn't see it. They really just milk the shit out of this out of this getting the heat segment. Um, finally, Jimmy Hart, the manager of the Nasty Boys. Really annoying that Jimmy Hart was managing against the Hart Foundation instead of managing the Hart Foundation. But he's he is managing the Nasty Boys. He has his megaphone. He tosses the megaphone into the ring for the Nasty Boys to use. The referee turned around. But there's a malfunction. The Nasty Boys accidentally hit each other with the megaphone. By the time Bret Hart tags in the anvil, the crowd is frenzied. Bret has done such a great job selling and building this matchup. The crowd is frenzied by the time he tags in Nightheart. And Nightheart's hot tag is so shitty that he mm. basically kills the entire crowd off instantly. Like, he, he barely even does anything, and then the crowd just stops caring immediately. Um, eventually the nasty boy or the, uh, the heart foundation hits their finishing move, the heart attack, but the nasty boys get the megaphone back into the ring. They do a megaphone shot and the nasty boys get the pin and win the titles in 12 minutes and 10 seconds. Your new tag team champions of the nasty boys. I liked the WCW nasty boys when they had dusty way better. Yeah. I, like, agreed. Like I say when they, I say quote, when they had dusty, it was basically basically just that one promo where Dusty recruited the Nasty Boys that I liked them. Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much their pretty promo much. was just them yelling about nonsense the entire time. That that was every Nasty Boys promo ever. I, and it's it like, was just them like it was just them being the Tasmanian Devil the whole time. I wouldn't mind like I don't mind them as workers. I actually thought like in this match they did okay. Like they're fine. They're fine. Like they're definitely good. I feel like was there ever like a three D nasty boys match? I think or, there was a three like a Dudley Boys Nasty Boys. Yeah. Match. I think in TNA, I think they might have. That late. Oh wow. really? That late? Yeah. They brought TNA brought in the Nasty Boys in like two thousand nine, two thousand ten because they were friends with Hulk Hogan. So <laughs> huh. Well, the more you know. But I feel like like if you had done that match. What, 95? Would they overlap relatively decently? Or is that still early for the Dudleys? Uh, probably still early for the Dudleys, to be honest with you. Or, like, during death at WCW, then. We could, Maybe. Uh, I feel like that could be something really fun, because they both have, like, a similar kind of vibe, and, like, they're better off as heels, but they're also the over top, the top heels that you love to see, like, do stupid shit. Um... Because that was this match. I just feel like there's a little bit too much more, too much chicanery for this match to really feel great and important, even though it's for the tag titles. Because, uh, like, the finish works, but it's just, like, there's a lot of nonsense beforehand. So, 
Not a lot. Not a lot of notes for this one. Yeah, Brett drags this match along on his back, and he gets it to a point where it's it's fine. fine. You know, it's all right. I will say, Jimmy Hart's jacket's it. pretty cool, though. Oh, Jimmy Hart was always fucking looking killer. Dude. Jimmy Hart always looked good. Jimmy Hart looked awesome at all times. Also, the wraparound sunglasses that Bret Hart wore back then are making a comeback. That was also one of my notes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know you know who to thank for that, right? Pat Mahomes. Oh, I was going to say Riff Raff. Uh, people are... People in 30 years are finally going to... like. It's going to take 30 years for it to happen where people realize just how big of an impact Riff Raff made on American culture. Uh, it, it, that, that's, a real, that's a real thing. No, it is a real thing. I'm not actually joking at all. Okay, okay. <laughs> it sounds like I'm joking, but I'm not joking. <laughs> it's just like how we had the conversation 20 year, uh, about like Limp Biscuit 20 years ago and how much yes. of an impact Fred yes. made on American culture. And it sounds like a joke, but it's not. I In the like, mid-2000s, people dressed like him. Yeah, people actively wanted to be like Fred Durst. And, like, I think it's the same thing with Riff Raff. I think that we will come, we will come to a reckoning in this country where people really realize the, the impact that Riff Raff had on all of us. And just the way this country has gone over the last, you know, what, five years? When was the last time we heard about Riff Raff? Four or five years? My freshman year of, co- um, my freshman yeah, year of my, college. My- our freshman year, yeah. Because I was like, wait a second, when you said Riff Raff, I'm like, I don't remember Riff Raff, but I do remember Jody High Roller, which, yes, it's the same guy. Jody thing. High Roller, yeah, same guy. When did he play that show in Morgantown? Was it, like, 2015? Like, 15? Yeah, yeah, I was going to say 15. It was, like at one, it was, like, at 123 Pleasant Street, and he didn't yep. show up until, like, 1 o'clock in the morning, I think. We yeah. have reached the niche part of the conversation that maybe only three is, other people will get. This is targeted directly <laughs> at people who went to WVU in the mid-2010s. That cared about riffraff. Yeah, and only those people. Not even our friends listen to this shit, so... No, they don't. <laughs> Fuck them. Fuck them, dude. <laughs> hey, but those are Australia and the UK and all around uh, the United States, specific- specifically out. in North Bergen. Shout out. Shout out to you guys. North Bergen. Specifically North <laughs> Bergen. Bucket, Hell yeah, North Bergen, the, what's up? The, uh, the home of East Coast Pro Wrestling, which is the only yeah. logical conclusion I could come up with with why this uh, podcast tracks so well up there. Dude, we got it. We got it. We got our demo up there. We got in the North Bergen. But <laughs> thank you for Bergen. listening. You got in the North Bergen algorithm, baby. It's awesome. Next match up, we have a first on the Two and a Half Barks podcast. We have a blindfold match. <laughs> we have Jake the Snake Roberts and Rick the Model Martell in the angle where Rick Martell blinded Jake the Snake with his cologne. By Mania, Jake can see again. Uh, but they're still doing a match where he can't see. They're doing a blindfold match. Um, he cuts a promo about... I always love Jake the Snake promos, but as time went on, they got less intelligible. Um, he cuts a promo about how men have five senses, but a snake has six. And I was like... What what extra sense do they, I feel like he doesn't actually elaborate on like what is the extra sense that snakes have that we don't have? <laughs> I think the general and I want to know. I think it's like I think the general thing is when they say six sense is just precognition, like how animals can sense earthquakes. I know, but I want to I want to know what Jake the snake thinks the snake's uh, six senses are, because that might be true. I don't know, but I want to know what he thinks. I want to know what's passing through Jake the Snake Roberts' mind in 1991. It's technically called a blindfold match, 
but they aren't really blindfolds. They basically have black sacks over their heads, like they're being renditioned to Abu Ghraib. Um, they do the whole bit where they can't see each other, and they're like, the fans are kind of doing Marco Polo with Jake Roberts as he's trying to, like, you know, find his way over to where Rick Martel is. And this just takes forever. I mean, it's just about eight and a half minutes of these guys trying to find each other. And then eventually they like come into contact with each other for two seconds. Maybe someone does a wrestling move and then we're back to them wandering around. Um, Martel, after they circle around each other forever, he touches the bat. He gets his way over to the uh, corner where Jake, the snake has the sack that has Damien, the snake in it. And Martel touches the bag and he realizes it's the snake bag and he gets all scared and he runs out of the ring. He grabs a chair and he just kind of waving it around and then he swings it at nothing and he hits the ring post and like scares the shit out of himself. Um, he then gets back in the ring, finds his way over to Jake the snake, hits him with a backbreaker and puts him in a Boston crab. But Jake escapes the hold and hits his finishing move, the DDT. He takes forever to find where Martel is lying on the mat, but eventually he gets over to him and pins him in eight minutes and 34 seconds. Jake the Snake Roberts wins the blindfold match. Afterwards, he stomps on Rick Martel's perfume spray bottle. He takes out Damien the Snake, and he wraps him around Martel, and he scares Martel off, and he runs away. Are y'all ready to fight? Go for it. Yeah, I know go, what you're going to you say. You go first. I know. I know, I know. Just do it. Just get All out right. of the way. All right. This is a good match. I liked it. It was good. And fuck you both if you don't agree because they were blindfolded. Jesus they, Christ. How can you not? Listen, no, no. You're I'm not done, David. David, I am not done. <laughs> how do you get the crowd so involved in a match where the wrestlers can't see? They cared. The crowd cared. Now, Jake okay. Roberts made him care. I will grant you that. That in and of itself, I think, is a significant accomplishment because this is a dumb-ass match. <laughs> it's fucking stupid. Nothing happens in it. And yet, they the are able to it. get the crowd... They are able to get the crowd invested in it, which I, I, I will agree. I will agree that that is a significant accomplishment. But so, watching the match is difficult to do because it sucks and nothing happens. <laughs> hold on, hold on. How about this? So uh, I think, if I remember this correctly, Rick Martel had, like, set Jacob for a back body drop, right? And, like... And he Jake... just runs around him. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was funny. <laughs> Jake just moved out of the way. Like, how do you not watch that? And you're just like, oh, why doesn't every wrestler just do yeah. that? Like... It really opens up. Yeah. It's like... It's like like 10 years ago when Minoru Suzuki started doing the thing where he wouldn't cooperate with people and he wasn't just going to like, he wasn't going to kayfabe anymore. Yeah. And like people would try to Irish whip him and he just wouldn't do it. <laughs> or like, he was or just like, like I'm not going to run, dude. Or like when Samoa Joe walks away from top rope moves. Like, yeah, I love that. Somebody's going to do like a shooting star press and Samoa Joe just like casually walks away. <laughs> I yeah. love that. Like, listen, okay, you know, okay, let's get real. This match should have been dog shit. Should have been uh, uh, poo poo pee pee ass, right? But 
It wasn't like it was serviceable at, at worst. My man said pee pee poo poo on the podcast. <laughs> I'm gonna have to get the what chant to mute that out. <laughs> uh, look, listen, it could have been worse, right? Okay, I will agree sure. with you in the fact that it could absolutely have been worse. My thing is like, at least for me watching it, I think the novelty is really good for like the first four minutes. After that four minutes, I was like, I kind of wanted to just see Jake the Snake take the bag off without Martel knowing, get a DDT, and leave. Like, yeah, I, I, I agree with you, actually. Andrew. That would have been funny, should I Or like, or if Martel had put the blindfold on and Jake the Snake Roberts never did, and he just toys with him the entire match. I feel like that could have been just as good and maybe a little bit more watchable. But like, I get like they got the crowd involved. The crowd really was hot for this match. And yeah, you get some really good pops. And like the fact that you have Jake the Snake kind of like pointing around the ring to tell him, uh, for the crowd to tell him where Martel is, I think it's a great way to interact with the crowd and get the crowd involved. But again, eight minutes for this kind of match where like you don't even have them take the blindfolds off feels a little bit long. It's I will illegal to take the blindfolds off in a blindfold match. He's the baby face. He can do whatever the hell he wants, which is funny because, like, I I have always been growing – I have grown up under the impression that Jake the Snake was an all-time heel. And we've had two-face Jake the Snake appearances. Let me just say, Jake the Snake is fucking cool. The dude <laughs> oh, yeah. is cool. I love Jake the Snake. I will watch more Jake the Snake gladly because the guy just – I mean, he brings a snake out to the ring. He's like this badass Texan. Like, what's not to like about the guy? Whether he's a he heel actually- or a face – he was actually uh, from Georgia, I believe. Is he from Georgia? Um, yes. Stone Mountain, Georgia. That's where he was built. Huh. Is that Paul Cruz from there, too? Uh, yes. Yep. Well, I mean, either way, he sells the Texan gimmick very well, even though he's not from Texas. He's not a Texan gimmick. He's not from Texas. He's just a, he's just, <laughs> he's just a southerner. He's, there are more than one. There's more than one state in the south, Angela. Yeah, there's one state in the south. It's Texas, right? <laughs> yes. Texas <laughs> is the south. You know the place uh, where you go to uh, Disney World? That's Texas, right? Yes. Where uh, you have... Shut up, Angelo. <laughs> Shut up, Angelo. God. Mardi Gras in Texas, right? Angelo. <laughs> this guy, I just freaking hate this guy so much. But yeah, uh, Jake, Jake the Snake Roberts, I think I've said it before, is my favorite guy of this whole era. And yeah, he was a heel at first, but got so over... That they just they were like, well, we got to turn face because we can't have him getting cheered over our baby faces. Like I think they, I think I might have said this a couple episodes ago. They test they test drove a program between him and Hulk Hogan at some house shows in like '86 or '87, where Jake was the heel, but he was he getting the- cheered as a baby face over Hulk Hogan. So they decided not to do it because they were like, we can't have Hulk Hogan not be cheered. <laughs> so we can't have this happen. So they ended up replacing him. I think may I think that's when they might have replaced him with Macho Man or something. Macho. Um, and then they just turned him. They turned him baby face. Did Jake get a world title run? No, he no. did not. He did not. Shameful. Never did. Shameful. But he's my favorite guy this whole era. Just such a great presence in the ring. Such a great gimmick. Incredible on promos. Just had this quality that was so compelling about him. Hey, Angelo. But don't worry. Sergeant Slaughter was a world champion. Yes. Sergeant Slaughter, the first Miz. Dude, let me tell you about 2018 when this dude named Jinder Mahal came along. Ooh. Yeah. He was getting... Hot take. Jinder Mahal's reign made sense. I don't think... Uh, No, if, if, 
No, no, no. It did not make sense. It was stupid as shit. It was dumb, but I don't think it. I don't think it was bad. It was not like a horrible rain. There, there has been revisionist history about Jinder Mahal because people look back at it and they say, you know what, Jinder Mahal, for all his faults, look physically looked like and carried himself like a fucking champion. And you know what? That was his great thing that he had going for him. He looked like a champion. And he carried himself like a champion. He looked like money, and he smells like money. But his matches all sucked. His promos all sucked. And he was a jobber his whole career that they then in three weeks were like, you know what, we're going to put the title on him and just, you know, fuck everything that you've watched his entire career. You now have to buy him as a main event. They wasn't, uh, like, just we're completely gonna talk about out of later. fucking nowhere. Move on. He showed up Move on. super juiced up. And and Vince saw a look at his muscles. And he was like, okay, cool. We'll have to cut We're that out. Next. They, yeah, and then he job and then he jobbed out to Triple H on that show. Uh, but yeah. Um, and he didn't even get cheered over Triple H either. I mean, he would like they negative reaction for Jinder Mahal. <laughs> I just, you know, there's a lot to talk about there. We haven't gotten gender, but yes. Next up, we'll move past this. This is a little shitty throwaway match, but it is actually very significant historically. Next up, we have uh, The Undertaker taking on Superfly Jimmy Snuka. Now, two manias before, Superfly Jimmy Snuka made like a special appearance, and he got this huge, special, grandiose entrance where the whole crowd's going crazy for him, and you know, the Fink announces his name with just incredible reverence. And now two two manias later, he is getting the fucking just the jobber entrance. And the real star here is the Undertaker. And this is OG original run taker. I think he had debuted less than a year before. Um, it's his first mania, and it's the old organ music. Paul Bearer is there with the urn. And at this point, Taker, who is a heel, um, is already starting to get a pretty decent babyface reaction from the crowd because it's just one of those gimmicks where I don't know, there's just something about it, you know? There's something weird about this guy that is, it's kind of cool and compelling. And this is kind of a nothing match, you know. Taker beats him up. Uh, Snuka gets a little comeback. He ends up basically like leaping out of the ring for apparently no reason. Uh, tries to springboard back into the ring. Taker catches him out of the air turns it into a tombstone, and he gets the pin in four minutes and 20 seconds. The Undertaker wins at WrestleMania, and thus begins the streak. The streak began right here at WrestleMania 7 against Jimmy Snook. Hey, what move did the crowd go absolutely batshit for? Which one? I mean, I'm asking you guys, what move did the crowd just lose their shit for that nowadays they they wouldn't even get a, a, a yelp I don't know. Was it that big jumping clothesline? Yes, it was, yeah. baby. It was the jumping clothesline. They thought that shit was awesome. <laughs> Look, Undertaker, again, this just shows, and we talk, we touched on it with, like, gender, but presentation matters. Like, how the guy yeah. carries himself can get over bad matches. It can get over bad promos. Does it get over with everybody? No. But if you present a guy in a way... And just say, even if he doesn't, ha- whether he has a history or doesn't have history, if you just present him as a big deal, 
Fun fact, he's gonna feel like a big deal. Look at like the look fiend at, the fiend in twenty nineteen. Precise Jay Uso at the end of last year. Like yeah. Grant, we love Jay Uso here. But like he's always been a tag team specialist. But the guy got catapulted into the main event, and guess what? He kicked ass at the main event. Making Undertaker shows presentation's the best thing you could do for uh, wrestlers in this era, even with the coverage in media, even with the uh, lack of breaks in uh, like coverage on those guys because you read the dirt sheets, you read like they're always on the media, <laughs> social media private presence. Like again, a guy who exemplifies presentation matters nowadays, I think, is Warhorse. Warhorse does a great job of presenting himself as this absolute batshit crazy guy who. Feels important, even though he's not like an indie guy. So, like, if you present yourself well, and you can like make yourself feel important, that's the important part about wrestling. Yeah. Angelo's becoming a big warhorse mark, by the way. Yeah, I, that doesn't shock me at all. No, it doesn't. It doesn't either, dude. I, I, Angelo, Angelo, do you like do you like Wardlow? Wardlow, he's like okay. I don't follow him on okay. Twitter, so like I don't know if he's got a good social media oh, presence. God. Okay, shut. Shut up! But like Warhorse's cool. social media is on point. Yeah, he's. I mean, that's he's he is very good at that. That's been yes. like a big thing for him. <laughs> but uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is again, it's classic Taker, and I'm gonna I'm gonna encourage everyone to seek this video out. My favorite, one of my favorite entrances of all time. Talk about just fucking presentation. Is Later in 1991 from The Undertaker, they did a show at Royal Albert Hall in London in which Taker walks out to the ring and they're playing his entrance theme song on like the 150-year-old like organ that they have in the Royal Albert Hall, which is like one of the biggest pipe organs in the world. And it's like the coolest shit ever. It's so <laughs> freaking sick. Uh, I, I encourage everyone to uh, to look up that that show or to look up that entrance because it's awesome uh so yeah next up this is one of the the big matches like to me this is the real main event uh it is a career ending match loser must retire it is the heel macho king Mm. randy savage taking on the ultimate warrior and so this is kind of leading past WrestleMania five. Of course, we talked about it two weeks ago. Savage had turned heel again. The mega powers exploded. He winds up forsaking Miss Elizabeth and going with the evil sensational Sherry. And they just are, you know, shithead heels for a long time. Um, and, and Miss Elizabeth had been a little bit out of the picture, but she reappears here at this match. It could potentially be the last match of Man- Randy Savage's career. They show her sitting in the crowd the whole match, kind of looking distressed and obviously pulling for Macho Man, even though he was, you know, he had left her and was running around with another woman. Um, Macho Macho Man and Sensational Sherry, they have this big grandiose entrance. They come out on these huge thrones and are carried to the <laughs> ring. And then Ultimate Warrior, a surprisingly subdued entrance from him. Of course, he was known for just sprinting to the ring and losing his shit. He uh, just actually kind of walks out to the ring. Doesn't get super hype. Um, he has trunks that have the WWF Championship belt airbrushed onto them with the accompanying text, this it means much more than this. 
This match is more important than any title. This is about career. So this is the best match on the show. Arguably the best match of Easy. Ultimate Warriors. Easy. I think it's the best match of Ultimate, Ultimate yes. Warriors career because Savage is so freaking great. Um, and this is the match the crowd cares the most about. This is the match that the people have the most emotional attachment to and emotional stakes in. So it is Savage doing all the heel shit. He's got Sherry distracting him, uh, distracting Warrior, getting involved, distracting the referee. And for most of this match, he's you know taking advantage of all these little cheap shots and all this all this stuff, but he can never really stay on top for long because Warrior is such a powerhouse. Like Savage will get like a couple shots in and then Warrior will just continue to kick his ass. Um, and the whole match is just Savage bumping all over the ring for this guy and doing everything he can to make Warrior not look like a shit worker. And he succeeds. And Warrior was a shit worker. But, I mean, he makes this into a really, really good match. Um, eventually... Savage gets him in a sleeper hold. He brings him all the way down. He has him, uh, you know, looks like he's about to go out, but Warrior powers out of the sleeper hold. He ends up get he has Savage pinned with a small package, but Sherry distracts the ref. The ref gets over there late, and Savage kicks out at two. We then get a ref bump. Sherry tries to hit Warrior with her shoe, but then hits Savage instead. Savage, though, there's some more chicanery going on. He gets Warrior down. He then hits not one, not two, but not three. three. Four? Not four. What? He hits five. What? Five consecutive <laughs> in a row, unanswered diving elbow drops. His finishing move. Listen, don't tell me. That WWE just invented the finisher spam match like five years ago with Brock Lesnar. They were doing this shit 30 years ago. This is a finisher spam match. Five consecutive diving elbow drops. And David, that's where Macho Man covers uh, Ultimate Warrior. One, two, three. Warrior has to retire. And you see have Warrior give a very tear-felt goodbye to all the screaming fans in this stadium. Uh, Macho Man Randy Savage hits five consecutive <laughs> diving elbow drops, and the Ultimate Warrior kicks out at two. Oh, okay. Yeah. Tough, tough. We've talked in the past about moments where you realize this guy's not going to win this freaking match. This is the moment where you know it is locked in, it is set in stone. Macho Man Randy Savage is not winning this fucking match. He hit his finishing move. Five consecutive times and could not get the pin. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it's freaking insane. Uh, Warrior kicks out. He does, I mean, I guess you don't call it hulking up because he's not Hulk Hogan, but he had that, you know, whatever it was that he did, Hulk up thing. He hulks up. And he comes back. He hits a bunch of clotheslines. Gorilla Press slam. He hits his running splash, which is his finishing move. Savage kicks out of that. So Savage at least oh. gets a finisher kick out of his own. Warrior can't believe it. He's like looking to the sky. He's like asking God why he would do this to him. He starts teasing like he's going to just walk out and leave the match. 
<laughs> but then uh, Savage and Sherry try to double team on him. Savage makes a goes for a big dive to the outside. He misses. Warrior gets his head back in the game. He shoulder blocks Savage out of the th- the ring three times in a row. Like he shoulder blocks him out of the ring, goes out of the ring, picks Savage back up, throws him back in the ring, and then does the same thing again three times. Rolls him back into the ring the last time, and then does pins him with just one foot planted on the chest, and he wins the match in twenty minutes and forty seven seconds. The Ultimate Warrior wins the career ending match. And Macho Man Randy Savage will have to retire from wrestling. The crowd is going wild. Savage is done. It's over. Sensational Sherry cannot believe that her meal ticket, Macho Man Randy Savage, is, is over. He's lost. He's, he's done with. She gets pissed off. She starts kicking him and attacking him. And they're panning over to Miss Elizabeth in the crowd. And she can't, she can't stand to watch this happen to her man anymore. She runs in and she sends that hussy Sherry packet. And she saves Macho Man. Macho Man gets up. He cannot believe that Miss Elizabeth is here. He stares her down. And, and the crowd is going crazy for this. About Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth in the ring. Like, you have the, just the iconic commentary from like Monsoon and Heenan that makes this moment so great. You know, you have Heenan yelling... She loves him. And then you have uh, Monsoon saying, she's always loved him. From the beginning, she's always loved him. And it's this big stare down between the two of them. And then they embrace in the ring. The crowd loses their freaking minds as his music plays. People are sobbing in the crowd. Like, they show all these shots of different people crying in the crowd at Macho Man and Miss Elizabeth reuniting. Um... He, Miss Elizabeth, like, Elizabeth herself is crying as Savage hoists her up on his shoulder. She goes to hold the the ropes open for him. He says no. He holds the ropes open for her. And then he gets one last ovation from the crowd in the ring before he walks off into the sunset. One of the great, just classic, emotional moments in wrestling history. And it would have been the perfect, perfect ending to Macho Man Randy Savage's career. But then we got like ten years of him in WCW, <laughs> like doing dumb shit, and uh, it's it's like the picture perfect fairy tale ending. This was a it great. Was this was great. Like I, th- we talk a lot about like the pace of these matches not being great. Um, I won't say this is the perfect pace, but like because of the story involving both the guys, it it matters more. You feel that importance in everything that they're doing. Um, Macho looks great. Ultimate Warrior looks great. Uh, you have a lot of sh- like a lot of like big things going on. Like you have that double clothesline spot that everyone always hits to as like a draw. You have like a very nice slingshot bulldog later on. The thing that like surprised me the most is that you have Ultimate Warrior selling Sherry's offense because you have Ultimate Warrior, you know, like a guy who's pretty much like the Hulk who really doesn't sell anything. He's selling Sherry's offense like it actually hurts. Like selling Sherry as an actual threat, which which I found like I don't know, pretty interesting for early '90s WWF. Uh, but like then we get to the end of this match, and this is where you start to get everyone's like on the edge of their seats and ready to say this is bullshit. How dare you kick out of that? And for me, 
I that my moment uh, that moment for me was uh, Macho Man hitting the five elbow drops in a row, and then the Warrior kicking out. That was straight out of the Fiend Hell in a Cell 2019, being buried under all that rubble, eating a chair shot directly to the head, and then just like coming out of the rubble and putting the claw on Seth Rollins. That that's what it felt like to me. But at least at least they gave Macho the moment to kick out of Warrior's finisher. The finish kind of sucked because you just have like Warrior running into Macho Man three straight times before a very, very lazy pin. But then again, you get that moment with Elizabeth where like, again, this is the ultimate send off. So again, it's very meaningful. Everything feels great. It's always emotional. You have a lot of investment in it. And uh, that's what makes a great wrestling match. And this is why this was the main event of this card. Yeah, yeah. this was uh, this was actually where the show ended um, after this match. Everybody just got sad and then went home. So, mm-hmm. yep. no, I I love this match. Um, you, you know when, what spot actually gave me goosebumps and it's dumb as shit? It was actually whenever Warrior uh, had to reach the ropes after the five elbows and, like, he got his energy back from reaching the ropes and shaking them. I was watching it like, oh, shit. Like, I, I, like I knew who won this match. And I was like, oh, shit. Warriors powering up, baby. And then he did the thing, and I was hyped for it. Yeah. I, I'm such a mark for Warrior, even though I think at this point it's kind of problematic because he was a problematic person. But 1989 uh, to 91, Warrior was awesome in my mind. And then, you know, maybe he's a problematic person, but yeah. This is a good match. It was a really yeah. good match. It's just. And I think it was even like actually canon that like he got his power by shaking the ropes. <laughs> you know, that was like, that, it was it was like a power line, you know? It yeah. was like gaining strength. Yeah. But I mean, this is just amazing, like I don't know, just seeing just the overwhelming emotion from the crowd at like Macho Man and, and Elizabeth getting back together. Oh, it's man. such an iconic moment. The the commentary makes it so much better. It is like, you could not script a better send-off for the Macho Man. No. You could not script it. It is perfect in every single way. And we know that because they tried it later. Like, Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we know that because that was not actually the end of his wrestling career. <laughs> like, two years later, he would be wrestling the Repo Man on, on WWF. <laughs> yeah, but, like... If this was the end, like really the end, it would be just incredibly perfect. And it would have gone out in just a great in-ring performance of him carrying this guy who sucked at working to a great match. And then this great emotional send-off. If you just ignore everything else everything that else. happened after Savage's career, it really is one of the great moments in the history of wrestling, in my opinion. So you can just, you should, you can just ignore everything that happened after that. We have like seven other matches out. Oh, Jesus. And almost none of them matter. Yes. So we, I mean, like a lot of these do not matter. So, and a lot of them are real short. So we can kind of move through some of these. Next up, we have, uh, we we have a bunch of bits with like Trebek and uh, Regis Philbin doing backstage interviews. The, The stuff that Regis does with the Japanese guys is pretty racist. Oh, it was bad. I will say this. Alex Trebek legitimately so much better than like almost every (laughs) WWF backstage interviewer ever. He's like actually really good at it. 
because he's Alex Trebek, he's freaking great. Dude's composed. Yeah, he's awesome. I, I just, I was, I was very impressed by the job Trebek did. Not that I, you know, it shouldn't have been a surprise because he's fucking Alex Trebek. But <laughs> next up, this is a very interesting match. We have uh, the tag team of Demolition. This is uh, not Axe and Smash, the classic combo. This is Smash and the younger Crush. Crush. But Monsoon at- said Axe and Smash, so they're definitely Axe and yes, Smash, right? He, he misspoke. This is Smash and Crush. At this point, Axe was kind of getting phased out because A, he was getting old, and B, he had actually had uh, earlier that year a particularly debilitating allergic reaction to shellfish while in Japan. Oof. Oh, I didn't know that. So it's a it's a good thing that they kept him away from, from these two boys because they brought in a couple guys from Japan and he might have had a, a bad flashback. Uh, they are taking on the team of Genichiro Tenryu and Koji Kitao from the promotion Super World of Sport in <laughs> Japan, which at the time, with Tenryu's promotion... At the time, they had a working relationship with the WWF. Uh, Tenryu, a really major, major star in the history of Japanese pro wrestling. And Koji Kitao passed away a couple years ago. Very interesting life story there. He was a, unlike the, uh, the pro wrestler named Yokozuna, Koji Kitao was actually a Yokozuna as a uh, sumo wrestler in Japan. The guy was a huge star sumo wrestler. Got basically kicked out of sumo for being an asshole. Uh, went into pro wrestling. Was a huge asshole in pro wrestling. He was a, a, a pretty big attraction as a pro wrestler because he was such a big star as a sumo wrestler. Fun fact about Koji Katao that might interest you guys. About a week later, he was on a show in uh, the Tokyo Dome where they had him matched up with Earthquake, who we will see later on tonight. Um, again, through the WWF connection earthquake himself was actually a sumo wrestler in japan before he uh got into pro wrestling the rare white guy to go and do it um and they have this match between koji katao and earthquake this is again a week after this at wrestlemania 7 where koji katao is booked to lose and he says fuck this i don't want to lose so he basically just shoots on tenta uh, on tenta a uh, john tenta earthquake he like refuses to sell anything tries to, like, gouge uh, Earthquake's eyes out, uh, gets himself disqualified, and then gets on the mic and says, all this pro wrestling shit's fake anyway. Screw you. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then that was basically, like, the end of his pro wrestling career. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. This is a week before he did that. He's wrestling at WrestleMania with Tenryu against uh, Demolition. What an asshole. Also, this match didn't matter. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, this match didn't matter, but that that like anecdote from Koji Katao's career, I think, is so insane that I wanted to mention it, um, especially because Earthquake is also on this show. Um, but yeah, nobody knows who you know. Tenryu Katao, pretty pretty well known stars in Japan, but nobody here knows who they are. And it's kind of a bad match. Bobby Heenan saying a bunch of racist shit on commentary about the two Japanese guys. Fuji's cousin. Yeah, it's bad. Um, Tenryu gets the hot tag, and then uh, they get. Um, they get Tenryu up. The uh, demolition gets Tenryu up for their finishing move, but uh, Katao pushes Crush off the top rope, and then Tenryu hits a power bomb on Smash, and 
Tenryu and Katao get the pin and win the match in four minutes and 44 seconds. The only good part of this was seeing Tenryu in the WWF. Yeah, Tenryu, great, great worker. Full stop. Um, yeah, great, great star in pro wrestling, great star in all Japan, and uh, was freaking awesome. I'll say uh, this, yeah. David's commentary about this match was better than the match itself. Thank you, I appreciate yeah, fair. that. I, David, I, David, that has nothing to do with you. Shut the fuck up. That's <laughs> with, how, with how bad the match sucked. No, I was, I was going to say something related to Tenryu. I <laughs> encourage seeking out 2015 at the age of 65. He had his retirement match, and they brought in Okada from New Japan Pro Wrestling to face Tenryu. And it was actually a pretty good match. Like Okada, yeah, but, how much, but how much did fucking Okada carry? Okada it? carried him, but Tenryu also worked his fucking ass off. As okay, much as he could. okay. Imagine a pro wrestler retiring at the age of retirement. Yeah, he retired at ah. the normal retirement age, <laughs> but it was actually pretty good. Like, legitimately, like way better than you would expect. Uh, but yeah, so Tenryu and Katao come in and win the match. Next up, second of three title matches. Intercontinental title is on the line. It is. Mr. Perfect defending against a babyface big boss man. And um, I, I just want to say this. Where does Mr. Perfect's theme song rank all time along theme songs? Which I think it's high. super, super high. I think it's incredibly high. Pretty top tier. It's pretty top tier. I just think it is so freaking cool. But does the top rap is crap? No. and uh, Come on. Brother. Seriously? <laughs> come on. That, yeah, that... It, it is it. Mr. Perfect's theme song in WWF is amazing, but yeah, it can only be the second best theme song of Kurt Hennig's career behind Rap is Crap. Um, Big Boss Man is basically throwing Perfect all around the match. This is a, I, I like this match for for what we get at least until the end. Things get a little weird. Um, Boss Man for a big guy moved so well and moved so fast. He's oh, throwing Perfect all around the ring while the referee is turned around. Uh, Perfect wraps his fist in some kind of cord or something. I didn't really catch what it was, and the commentators didn't really mention it. Um, he wraps his fist in something while the ref is turned around. He punches Boss Man with it. That gives him the opportunity to take over this match. He puts him in the abdominal stretch, mm. and then he goes for a perfect plex, but Boss Man reverses it into a small package. Perfect comes through, hits that kind of rolling neck breaker that uh, Charlotte Flair calls the natural selection. He hits that move for a near fall. He goes up to the top rope. Boss Man gets his foot up and boots Perfect in the face. Uh, you've got Boss Man comes back. Perfect is bumping all over the place. Um, Boss Man then goes after Bobby the Brain Heenan on the outside, but Perfect comes up behind him, throws him into the steel steps, then we get an appearance from Andre the Giant, who by 1991, he was basically done as a full-time wrestler. Still appeared every now and then. He was back to being a babyface. Andre the Giant comes out to big applause. He can barely move. I mean, he is literally like having to support himself. Like he can't walk without like supporting himself on the ring apron. But he grabs the title belt. He waffles Mr. Perfect with the belt. Both guys are down. Bossman goes for the pin, but Mr. Perfect just kicks out at two. And at that moment, Haku and the Barbarian hit the ring and attack Bossman for the DQ. Andre the Giant and uh, Big Bossman then combine to clean house and send the heels on their way. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, I guess Mr. Perfect was kind of cool. Did you see the way Mr. Perfect sold that punch from Andre? Sure. Like, he gets hit with one punch from Andre on the outside. And it's just a weak-looking punch because Andre can't do anything anymore. Mr. Perfect does like a 720 flip on the outside <laughs> from this punch. It's awesome. It's amazing. Object- but like, how much do we actually care about this match? I actually, Not really. I, I mean, I like Boss. I like Boss Man a lot. I like them but, both, but like, you know. I just knew coming in like they're gonna get eight minutes. It's gonna be whatever, and I'm not really gonna care. I had fun. Like I actually kind of really like this match. Um, I, I think a lot of that it comes from like the, both of the guys cut a promo before it, and both of them cut pretty good promos. Like I was shocked to see how naturally Big Boss Man was able to play up the baby face, uh, and then you have Henning cutting a pretty good heel promo as well. Uh, Hennig sells like hell throughout this entire match, like him selling those big slaps. I always love a big slap in wrestling. It just looks like it stings, partially because me and David spent a year doing it to each other in our apartment. Yeah, uh, David David and I are on video. I have never slapped David, but David is on video many times slapping me in the chest. Doing the Walter chops, man. Uh, he also There's also a spot where Boss Man swings Hennig by his hair, like, for a few rotations, and that's definitely not got to be fun for Hennig. Uh, you also have, like, Boss, uh, Boss Man doing the Corbin special where he, like, slides under the ring, runs around, and then slides back in the ring for a big move, which I didn't realize was his origination. Like, I'm sure guys did it before him, but I didn't realize he was the guy that did it. Because a lot of times when we get Boss Man on the card, he's very, like, sluggish. He's not a very quick worker, but here he just looks in great shape. He's been doing, like amazing guy to have he's big he's fast not a lot of guys like that at his era it just feels like there's one too many uh run-ins also i really hated alfred on commentary i just i in my notes oh, i yeah. have i in yeah, my notes lord, lord lord alfred hayes on commentary for this one i did i did forget to mention that in my notes i have shut up british michael cole uh <laughs> that's a Ooh, yikes. That's harsh, man. But, like, I like Bossman and Headache put on a good match. Is it 10 minutes? Yes. It does end in a DQ. Yes. I had fun watching it. I think both these two guys did a great job. Sure. I mean, yeah, I, I love Bossman. I, I did like the work that we got. Both guys are, are good workers, but, like, my my big takeaway for the match is just how depressing Andre looked, and that yes. kind of brings everything down. And, I mean, you know. Now, of course, Andre will be dead within the next couple of years, unfortunately. And he's just he's just already not really in good health. He's good enough health to, like, go be involved, I guess. But, I mean, he can't really do anything. I mean, at WrestleMania 6, he looked real bad. Yeah, he, he he's not looking well here. Um, next up, we have all the celebs are in the house. And just like WrestleMania 5... Donald Trump is here. And, you know, this is a motley crew. Unbelievable. Fantastic. We love it. You know, it's the same. It, it's again, we, we talked about it. At WrestleMania five, that episode, how his his speech patterns are exactly the same 30 years ago. And it's, it's the same thing here. But yeah, we got it. We got it. We got an assortment of celebs here. Uh, Chuck Norris is there. We all oh love God. Chuck. I think this is while Walker, Texas Ranger was still on. Um, he's, you know, he's there. They have little little interview snippets with all of them. Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is there. He's, a, as it turns out, a big warrior mark. And then you have the Incredible Hulk himself, Lou Ferrigno, is there. As always with him, completely unintelligible. Completely. 
Yeah. So next matchup is Earthquake versus Greg the Hammer Valentine. Another throwaway match. They get a few minutes. Earthquake overpowers him. Valentine comes back with a bunch of chops and elbows. Is able to eventually take Earthquake off his feet. He goes for the figure four. Earthquake's legs are too big for him to put him in the move. And in the move, he then tries to take a swipe at Jimmy Hart. And Earthquake comes back. He squashes him with a big splash, and he gets the pin. And Earthquake wins the match. Three minutes and fifteen seconds. Hops on a plane, goes to Japan, and then Koji Katao tries to rip his eyes out. Another great Jimmy Hart jacket, and that is an awful singlet. I got yeah, man. Let's Jimmy uh, keep it moving. First down. Jimmy Hart, Jimmy Hart serving looks, baby, at this paper. <laughs> I mean, I had like five different jackets tonight, and every single one of them looked fantastic. <laughs> Next up, shortest match on the card, tag match. Road Warriors taking on Power and Glory. It is the team of Hercules and future Four Horsemen member, Pretty Paul Roma. Paul and, Roma. You know, Road Warriors are cool. Power and Glory have one of my favorite tag finishers of all time with the superplex, uh, big top rope splash combo. We don't get to see it in this match because they get squashed like right yeah. away. Um, inside of a minute, Animal catches Paul Roma out of midair with a power slam. They hit the Doomsday device. The Road Warriors get the pin in. 59 seconds. Yay. That was a match. Yeah, man. Road Warriors, I guess, called them the Road Warriors. They were technically the Legion of Doom here in WWF. But they're fucking sweet, dude. Kick ass all the time. That My dad's a big Legion of Doom Road Warriors, Mark. Everyone should be. Loved Hawk and Animal. My dad was a big Road Warriors, Mark. I think it's just... Everybody was. If if you were alive back then, and if you had ever watched wrestling, you were a Road Warriors, Mark. Because they were cool as shit. What a rush. (laughs) Freaking cool as hell, yeah. Yeah, Road Warriors are awesome. Next up, we have a match in a feud that was actually pretty hot at the time. It is Virgil and Ted DiBiase. Of course, Virgil, the long-suffering manservant of the evil million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Virgil had, after many years of taking all this abuse, turned babyface and turned on Ted DiBiase and broken free as his own man, actually came out of that turn very over. It was a hot angle. The turn was done really well. But the heat was not sustained because Virgil sucked, I mean, he's, you know, he might have been able to actually build that into something if he was more charismatic and not a terrible worker and better at just talking and, and doing anything. But Virgil just wasn't very good at stuff. So the heat dies off pretty quick. He is still relatively over at this show, but it might be mostly because he's got Rowdy Roddy Piper there with him as his second Roddy comes out using a crutch, had legitimately been severely injured in a motorcycle accident a few months before. Uh, And the match itself kind of sucks. It's mostly Ted DiBiase bumping around for Virgil, trying to carry the match. Virgil's punches in this match, they make Shane McMahon look like 1990 Mike Tyson. I mean, they are the worst worked punches I think I've ever seen in my entire life. Um, Again, Ted bumps around for him. He then takes over. He gets the heat. 
He goes after Rowdy Roddy Piper on the outside. He pushes him over. They show Roddy trying to, like, struggling to get up. He then gets some revenge on Ted. As Ted is trying to go off the ropes, Roddy reaches up with his crutch and kind of hooks the top rope with his crutch and, you know, causes Ted DiBiase to fall over the top rope and go to the outside. Ted then takes some shots at Roddy, but then takes a little bit too long to get back into the ring as he's concerning himself with Rowdy Roddy Piper, and he gets counted out. Virgil wins the match with Ted DiBiase by countout in 7 minutes and 41 seconds. Afterwards, Ted's pissed off. He goes back in the ring. He beats up Virgil. He puts him in the million-dollar dream Cobra Clutch submission. Uh, Roddy runs in, starts hitting him with the crutch, but then Sensational Sherry shows up, making her second appearance on the show. She runs up behind him. She grabs the crutch. Sherry and Roddy double team on, or Sherry and Ted DiBiase double team on Rowdy Roddy Piper. They beat him up. They leave. And eventually, Virgil gets up. He grabs a mic and does this big, like, baby face, baby face motivational speech to inspire Roddy to get up back on his own two feet. And he does. And they hug. Yeah. Um, I wish Virgil was better. Because, like, yeah. there's some real potential yeah. here if, like, as Star Maker. This was a hot angle, but it it sucked because it was Virgil. <laughs> You're trying to, like, make a star with this, and he just sucked. Like, that's what feels bad about it. Because, like, at the end of the day, I think they do the right thing by giving DB Even though DiBiase loses, he loses via countout, so it's kind of like a chicken shit way to lose. And you also have DiBiase kind of show, like, an angry edge to him, as well as now you have Sherry in his corner. So, you know, I think that works pretty well. Also, this is, uh, I'll mention this now. So this is our second senior, junior, senior three three in a row with DiBiase. Uh, we also have Virgil joining the elite list of people that have peered three in a row on the podcast. That's so weird. That's awesome. Like, Good for Virgil. Oh my God. The list, and I, I compiled the list. We have Rey Mysterio, Ric Flair, Big Show, Kevin Nash, Brock Lesnar, and Virgil. Wow. Oh. What a fucking list! That's great, a great company for Virgil. I have to say, a bunch of Hall of Famers and then Virgil. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh my god, uh, yeah, but like, yeah, I don't know. This was fine. This was one of the better matches on the last half of the card, but sure. ultimately, Roddy. Honestly, I love Piper, but like, this just kind of feels out of place. Yeah, the one funny thing about this this match and this segment. Did you guys catch when Sherry was beating on Roddy and her wig fell off? No. Did you guys see that? No, go back and watch it. Her, like, she's stomping on him and she's, like, getting really into it. Because, I mean, Sherry was a great, very energetic performer. And she gets a little too into it. And her fucking wig just falls off. No, I was not paying attention to that whatsoever. Go back and watch it. It's so funny. It's so funny. Like, all of a sudden, (laughs) her wig just falls off and lands on the mat next to Roddy Piper. Uh, yeah, it's it's great. Go back and watch that. Um, two matches left. This one is barely even a match. Um, it is the Mountie. Before he got his uh, his great theme song, um, where he sings about how he's uh, handsome, brave, and strong. Uh, he's taking on Tito Santana. It's not much of a match, like I said. Tito is uh, beating him up. Jimmy Hart hands the cattle prod to the Mountie. The Mountie, quote-unquote, shocks him with the cattle prod. 
and he gets the pin in one minute and 21 seconds. Sure. David, just Shout get... out to the Fabulous Rougeaus. Yes. Shout out to all French-Canadian wrestlers. Just, yes. just, we could get to the main event now. Good group of guys. We're good. Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. So, the main event is for the WWF Championship. It is Iraqi sympathizer Sergeant Slaughter defending the WWF title against the American hero Hulk Hogan. And they have the pre-match promos uh, backstage. Sergeant Slaughter's, uh, his, what was it? I think the term they used was his commanding officer. Yes. General, General Adna, who I will say, I was prepared to look up General Adnan and find out that you know he's supposed to be like this Iraqi, like I, you know, Iraqi military officer who was supposedly buddies with Saddam Hussein. And I was expecting to look it up and find out that he's like a Hungarian American guy from Knoxville. <laughs> but he actually legitimately was. His name was Adnan Al Qaisi. He was legitimately from Iraq and supposedly in high school went to school with Saddam Hussein. Holy smokes. Yeah. Legit. So he actually was. They got a real guy who was, you know, an Iraqi American and, uh, you know, was a pro wrestler. And they brought him in. So, like, this isn't really cultural appropriation, at least. Does I mean, it make it better? It's distasteful in many other ways. But like I said, I was prepared for this to be just some guy named Joe. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I would, so, I would like to know his thoughts on the whole ordeal. So that's something, at least. I, I don't know. He, uh, he apparently published a, uh, a autobiography in 2005, I'm, I'm sure, if you're interested. Uh, you can you can track that one down and find out all about what General Adnan had to say about this whole way. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter then cuts a promo that seemingly takes 25 minutes. You then have Hulk doing, you know, Hulk is, he's being the Hulkster. He rips his shirt off mid-promo and then is flexing while reciting the Star Spangled Banner, basically. Mm. It's, it's just pure Hulkamania. Um, we have Alex Trebek doing the guest ring announcing for this match. And again, it is just pure American propaganda. We're during the Persian Gulf War. We're enemies with Iraq. And they have the bad guys, Sergeant Slaughter and General Adnan. They walk out waving the Iraqi flag. The Hulkster comes out waving the American flag. And you have Regis Philbin on commentary. And I'll say this about Regis. Pro. The guy's a freaking pro. Pro. Yeah, he was he was basically Mr. TV. I think he had the record for like most time, like cumulative amount of time on TV of anyone. And he's a freaking pro, you know. Uh, he doesn't do that bad, even though obviously he's not really into wrestling, but, you know, he's Regis. He knows what he's doing out there. Um, Sergeant Slaughter hits Hulk Hogan with a bunch of chairs in this match, and I don't, they never disqualify him. So I don't know if they like, Decided to do no DQ at the last minute and didn't tell anybody. <laughs> but very early in this match, he's hitting with chairs and like right in front of the referee. There's no disqualification. Hulk, of course, is completely no selling it. Um, Hulk spends like 10 minutes of this 20 minute match working him over. He does like all seven moves that he knows how to do. Um, Hulk then tries to go off the top rope, uh, but General Adnan uh, at ringside grabs his leg. Slaughter tosses him off the top rope. And they beat him down. 
buffet. He hit him with chairs. He chokes him with a camera cord. He puts him in a Boston crab, which was weird because, like, he puts him in the Boston crab right next to the ropes. Like, Hulk, all he has to do is, like, with, like, minimal effort, he can just reach over and grab the rope. But he's in this Boston crab for, like, two minutes before he finally decides so to grab long. the rope. So long. It's like, dude, just grab the fucking rope already. Regis said it best. Why don't you grab the rope? Just grab it. No, Regis knows the rules better than Hulk Hogan does. <laughs> it's insane. Regis um, would mop the floor with Hogan in a match. Yes. <laughs> Hogan fears Regis. Uh, <laughs> um, this next part's weird. Slaughter hits him with like a diving stomp off the top rope and tries to pin him. But while Sergeant Slaughter is trying to pin Hogan, General Adnan, who's supposed to be his manager, is distracting the referee and not letting him count the pin for Slaughter. And then it should be the other way around. But, no. And then the referee ends up turning around late. And Hogan ends up kicking out at two. Slaughter hits him with another chair. Hogan blades. He starts bleeding everywhere. He barely kicks out. Slaughter puts him in the camel clutch for a while. He wears him down. Hogan looks like he's passed out. Slaughter wants to add insult to injury. He goes and grabs his Iraqi flag. And he drapes the flag over the <gasps> lifeless body of Hulk Hogan. How Plus, dare he? And he tries to pin Hulk Hogan with the flag on top of him. But Hulk kicks out. And he gets up. The blood is streaming down his face. He's energized. He grabs the Iraqi flag and tears the flag in half with his hands. He then hulks up. It's a classic Hulkamania running wild moment. Three punches. Irish whip. Big boot, leg drop, one, two, three. The Hulkster runs wild, and Hulkamania lives. The honor of America defended Hulk Hogan, the new WWF champion. 20 minutes and 26 seconds. He waves the stars and stripes. And ladies and gentlemen, Hogan must pose as we end the show. Um... Yeah, I think this just confirmed this show was a one-match card because I didn't give a shit about this. Yeah. Ultimately, yeah. Like, even back then, if we, I might have to assume that this is, like, socially acceptable for the time frame. It makes sense why you're building your main event like this. And we were at, we were at war, Angela. Yes, and we were, I We think- were fighting to defend our freedom in... You know, Kuwait. And and you know what? 1991 Hulk Hogan does a great job impersona- impersonating All Might from uh, My Hero Academia. But, <laughs> like... I think I think Hulk Hogan's more of a Homelander than that. I agree. Eh. I can see it. No, nah, I, I don't think... I think behind the scenes, he's definitely a Homelander. Okay. I, I can see it. That's what makes him a Homelander. True, 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 true. Uh, like, I don't know. This just... It doesn't hit. The one thing I'll give credit for is that, like, I enjoyed the fact that they didn't have any DQs in this match, despite the fact Slaughter was using chairs and all that fun stuff. Um, I also thought Slaughter could sell. I didn't think he was a bad worker in this match. I mean, Hogan's definitely, you know, there are better ones, but Slaughter, I thought, held his own as a seller. But, this is, again, there's just a lot in this match. It's like, okay, cool, why? Like, mm-hmm. The fly cover was, like, the best moment of, like, oh, this is actually storytelling. But I don't feel like there's ever a real story here between Hulk and Sergeant Slaughter. Like, 
I understand that the gimmick was that he's Iraqi, uh, an Iraqi sympathizer, but why is Sergeant Slaughter like the Iraqi sympathizer? Why does he believe the way he is? I don't know. Yeah. It, it, it never. It doesn't feel like it's explained. It just feel like we are yeah. solely doing this so we can get a super American Hulk versus super heel, uh, potentially xenophobic Sergeant Slaughter, uh, as the main event, just because we're at war and you know we want to go full on American. Which I'm not like again. I, I believe in sense of having a sense of pride in where you're from, but I don't think you need to do that at the cost of, you know. Maybe doing something that is in bad taste. Like, you can't... If this happens today, oh my god, we are... Like, we will never hear the end of it. But because it happened in 1991, it's just like, oh, that's how things were. I yeah. don't know. Uh, it just... It's, again, the, the storytelling sucks. There, It doesn't feel, like, real. It just feels like it was done as a way to shoehorn in uh, the war into, like, saying, hey, we're gonna put butts in seats because this is, like, what people are really caring about in the real world now. That, but that, that was exactly what it was meant to be. Yeah. Like, that was the whole goal was, we're in a war, let's get our heel to be like that guy. Yeah. They, it's it's just the cheapest heat imaginable. That doesn't like, feel yeah, genuine. Yeah, we're at war, we're, you know, the whole country's been stirred up into a patriotic fervor because we're at war. So, we're just gonna very nakedly and cynically play off of that and just say, like come up with this just ridiculous impossible belief story about like oh yeah this guy has uh, defected to iraq and he's buddies with saddam we, you hate him now right hulk hogan will defend our honor it's just so freaking stupid like you could have done something like with just instead of going full-blown like iraqi sympathizer just a guy that's like hey i don't believe we should be over there and you could play that up as a heel like during that time, no, you could have done that. Actually, no, I mean, like, that, that guy would legitimately be the biggest baby face in the world, at least to me. But yeah. yeah no. To you, but like in 91, if you're going with the whole, I want to be a super proud American and like I'm proud of what we're doing versus I'm not proud of what we're doing over there, but you don't have to be like the full blown like Iraqi sympathizer thing. Like you could have done that. But the, again, of course, it's like, oh, this is not extreme enough. Yeah, they did not want, because like I think probably like. This is back a time where you want like very clearly defined baby faces and very clearly defined heels. And I guess like, you know, maybe if there's if you have a character like that, you leave yourself to open to the fact that like, but yeah, there's probably a lot of people who are going to agree with this guy uh, that we shouldn't be, you know, in Kuwait right now. And he'll be a baby face to these people and they might cheer him instead of Hulk Hogan. You can't have that. Just have this guy be a you know a cartoonish like oh yeah he's friends with Saddam he's buddies with Saddam now he's a turncoat yeah he is committed treason upon our nation <laughs> he should be thrown in jail and put to death yeah there there should really be more to talk about with this match but like once you get over the Sergeant Slaughter gimmick like there's nothing else to talk about yeah it's just a Hulk it's just a Hulk match yeah once you get past the just the abject absurdity of the Sergeant Slaughter character at this time. It's just like, yeah, like, okay, it's, we've seen a hundred thousand of these Hulk matches. He gets beaten up, the heel cheats, and they do all this shit, and then he hulks up. And then big boot, leg drop, one, two, three. Okay, that's it. Hogan, Hogan poses. Okay, it's over. No depth it's to it. It's every match. It's every match. There's no every, depth to it. There's match. no, there's, no it's, there's nothing to distinguish this match between, like, you know, when he wrestled Zeus or when right. he wrestled Big John Stud or when he wrestled, you know, whoever. 
it's it's all the same match pretty much. Yep. So yeah, it's not great. I think it sucks, and I, I it's, this character is like just repulsive to me that they did this. But uh, he got so many death threats that they had to move the venue. You know, it's true. It's true. Like, because I mean, if they had had that thing in the LA Coliseum. All bets are freaking off, man. They would have torn him to pieces. He, he would have been murdered on live TV. We can't have that. Absolutely. So, I think that'll finish up our rundown of WrestleMania 7, and that will take us to our two and a half marks. Jake, you look like you're about to fall asleep over there. Oh, I'm good, brother. I, I'm, I'm, I'm more awake now than I was uh, two shows ago. I'm good. Oh, yeah, okay. Jake, two shows well, ago then, was fun. How about- Whatever show that was, I was, I was actively falling asleep. Hey, listen, there are pictures of me slumped out on this last Saturday Zoom call. I was passed out on the Zoom call. I'm more awake than that. I'm good. You but freaking, I'll go first. You freaking slept through Peter Yon doing dumb shit, bro. I, dude, he hit the, he hit the fucking Kamigoye. Like. <laughs> so you missed Peter Yon hitting the Kamigoye, bro. <laughs> I hit him hitting the Kamigoye, and I hit Amanda Nunez putting Meek and Anderson in the Kokina Clutch. Like, yeah. Oh man, I woke up in the middle of the uh, of the Izzy of the Izzy uh, Blockwoods fight. Anyway, so I'll go first to wake myself up. All right, I'm giving half a mark, and it's a negative half a mark to the first like ten matches of the Undertaker streak. Okay, because everybody just talks about how he was like twenty and over WrestleMania, but they forget about how he beat a washed ass Jimmy Snuka. He got a DQ win versus who, David? Giant Gonzalez. Giant Gonzalez, who chloroformed him. <laughs> chloroformed. <laughs> I'll talk oh about God, that yeah. more if we ever get WrestleMania 9. But Undertaker got chloroformed. What? So dumb. The start of the streak, it was not the streak until he was like 10-0 and 0 or 12-0, and 0, I think. Yeah. And that's whenever Vince approached him like, hey, man, we've got this thing going on. Let's keep it going. Yeah. They no. never they never made the streak like a thing like, oh, we want to break the streak until like the mid 2000s. Right. And then all of a sudden they were like, oh, OK, so he's got this thing. But up until then was nothing. So negative a half a mark to that. It was just a bad it was it was just by luck that we got to that point. Otherwise, it never would have been a thing. I'm going to give one positive mark to. The camera work in the Warrior Savage, or sorry, not Warrior, yeah, 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 Warrior Savage match. I thought the camera work was phenomenal. Every big moment, who did they cut to? Elizabeth. And the whole time you're like, oh, like, Elizabeth still cares for, for Savage. She's still there for him. Savage is being a dirty little heel the whole time. But then, like, as the match wears on, you're like, oh, shit, like, this could be the end for, for Macho Man. And then it is, quote, unquote, the end for Macho Man. And you're like, oh, no, like, now what? And then he gets Elizabeth back, man. He gets his girl back. It's the camera work that sells it, man. They just keep flashing to her. And they keep flashing to Sherry, who, like, doesn't give a shit about him as long as he's winning. But when he's losing, she hates it. Man, the whole time, it just sold me. It sold me on how much I just was like, like, I knew that he got back with Elizabeth here, but by the end of the match, I was like, do it. Do it. Do it. And then he did it, and I was happy about it. So 
on March of the camera work in the Savage Warrior match. And I'm giving negative two marks to literally any gimmick that references a war. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Angelo. I'm done. No, like, <laughs> you cannot. You cannot. Like, it just, okay, A, it's a bad idea regardless. Regardless. Like, <laughs> I'm thinking, like, could you imagine today if we had, like, I don't know, like, an Iraqi sympathizer gimmick? Like, I think it would on. be something, like, something to do with China. Yeah, like, like if you had, like, like a North like, Korean sympathizer gimmick. Like, Retribution <laughs> got pretty close with the protests. Like, that one was, like, almost canceled before it started. Like, like do we have any Korean wrestlers right now? Korean wrestlers? Wow, I don't know. Okay, so it would be, like, Tommaso Ciampa coming out as pro Kim Jong-un. You know what I mean? It'd actually be really cool. <laughs> that would be hilarious. He just, he just shows up and he's like, hey, guys, you know, I think he's got good ideas. And it's like, bro, wait, what? Yeah, me and, my, me and my buddy went over to – me and my buddy uh, no, no, Dennis no, Rodman on, on. went over to North Korea the other day. Yeah. No, champ is, a, champ is a bad idea. Let me think um, – Who's got like a really like American no, gimmick I, right now? I can't. I can't stop thinking about like, like <laughs> Tommaso Ciampa shows up at NXT one day, and he's like carrying like a portrait of Kim Il Sung, and he's trying <laughs> okay, to I have, teach everyone I have about saying... like, like yes, I I have committed my my life to spreading the Juche ideology. <laughs> okay, I, I said the wrong name, but who has like? It would be like <laughs> the funny shit. <laughs> Chad like, Gable. Right now. Chad Gable. Yeah. Chad Gable just shows up and he's like, guys, you remember that guy Kim Kim Il Sung? He had good ideas. And it's like, bro, wait, what? Like, no. Yeah. Oh, oh. That's okay. literally what it was. Sergeant Slaughter right, had right. been out of WWF for like six years, and then they brought him back and they're like, Hey, remember that dude from six years ago? He's he's with the Iraqis now. <laughs> exactly. So any gimmick that references any American that, that real American conflict is bad. I don't want to get it out of my face. Otis Negative com- two marks to any war gimmick. Otis comes out and says, I don't believe in a free Hong Kong. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, David, David, I want you to go next. I want Angelo to close us out today. Okay, Dude, no, that's, you're going to be disappointed. That's fine. That's fine. I'm going to give my half mark to the Mountie. Because goddamn, that, okay. that, does that dude look like a million freaking bucks or what? Love the gimmick. I thought he. I always thought he was really funny. I'm going to give my uh, my one mark to emotional reunions in wrestling. There are a few that come to mind. Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man Randy Savage is one of them. They made me think of the Golden Lovers, the reunion of Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi a couple years ago, which is basically like this exact same thing. If we do not have um, like God Kota versus uh, this version of Kenny, what what are we even doing? Yeah. It made me think even of, what was it, last year? They did the reunion of Team Hell No, and we were all into that shit with Daniel Bryan and Kane. We're waiting for Bated Breath for the reunion of uh, DIY. Yes, and it's going to happen. Well, I mean, they kind of happened, but it didn't like, they didn't really fold. It was like the, it was the heel version, though. It's like, who cares about really the heel version? It. Yeah, it'll happen eventually, maybe. But, you know, watching the macho man and elizabeth reunion and just all the real genuine emotions surrounding it that is just you're pouring off of them and off of the fans it just made me think of so many more of my favorite moments that were just kind of like that and it was it was it was a nice thing to think about and i'm gonna give my negative two marks 
kind of along the same line as Jake. I just gave it to over-the-top jingoism. <laughs> because I don't want any of that shit near my wrestling. I don't want to watch propaganda in my wrestling. I don't want to think about, like, just... Because it, it's, it's just so cynical and so, like, just makes... Like, it, it's insulting to your intelligence, really. It's insulting to your intelligence that they think that they can try, like, this little and have it work. I mean, you can be pro-American, but you don't need to be anti, like, foreign. Like, you, there, yeah. you, you, right, can, right. you can have There's both things exist. Yeah. It's like, you can be proud to be an American, but also get a fucking life, dude. <laughs> get a fucking life. So that's that's my negative two over the top jingoism. <laughs> so, so, so basically, we have agreed on our, ne- yeah, on our negative two marks, right? We're basically right in step here. Angelo, finish us out. All right, my minus half mark is going to British Michael Cole, Sir Alfred, because even though he was only on the Lord, card, he is a Lord, Angelo. Lord, He's Sir, Lord. whatever. Lord he was Alfred a- Hayes. I'm demoting him because he was awful on commentary. Like <laughs> I love, like I really genuinely enjoyed the Big Boss Man versus Mister Perfect. And him on commentary just sucked. Like I thought with WrestleMania five, at the very least, even if the, the even though the card wasn't entertaining, uh, Ventura and Monsoon did a great job playing off each other and playing in their roles. S- Lord Alfred sucked. He was awful, and I couldn't I couldn't stand to hear him. And I thought he ruined a perfectly serviceable match. Uh, my one mark is going to actual celebrity cameos that make sense, like. I think a lot of times with WWE, they want to just book a celebrity in a match, like Kevin Federline versus John Cena way back in the day. Ooh, that's a good uh, but like, I feel like, you know, have them play their roles. I think Regis and Trebek did a great job on commentary or interviewing. I think that was a good choice for them. I don't think that anyone really need to see them take a bump. Uh, like they're, how they're using Bad Bunny now, I feel like is really useful because he's a guy that actually has respect for the craft as opposed to like the rappers on Twitter. So I think getting celebrity cameos always helps legitimize WWE, WWF. Uh, look at what AEW did with Shaq and the Snoop Dogg. Like it gets them a big rating. Um, it makes, it doesn't, I don't think cheapen it if you do it the right way. I think Snoop Dogg's was kind of a little bit cheap, but like Shaq worked his ass off in that match. Like I think that having a celebrity pop up in your wrestling show uh, gives it credence. My two marks, pretty simple. They are positive, but they're going to Jimmy Hart's jackets. That man was styling and profiling. He was slaying, dude. Like styling and profiling. Like the mount, the Mountie jacket, the Earthquake jacket, the Nasty Boys jacket, Dino Bravo's jacket. Like any jacket that Jimmy Hart had was amazing. It was it was impeccable. It was perfect. And even if those matches that he was uh, managing. I think all of them sucked with the exception of the Nasty Boys match, which was tolerable. Uh, the jackets were on point. So two marks to Jimmy Hart's jackets. I think we have all been universal in our praise of Jimmy Hart's jackets. That's for freaking sure. And just Jimmy Hart in general. Yeah. A, a classic man. A classic man. Yeah, yeah. So that will finish up our coverage of WrestleMania 7 and... We got a few more with it with a full deck of, of pay-per-views. So we're gonna hit the randomizer and see what we're gonna watch next week as I pull this up. What are you boys hoping for? Guys, I'm gonna be honest, I want something short. I'm tired of watching these fucking four hour shows. 
Give me something short. Yeah, please just don't give me a WrestleMania or any, like, big event. Like, let's get a nice, like, two and a half hour... In your house. Give me an in your house. No, in your house is horrible. I think anything but that. So, it has been a while since we've gone and seen some real good WCW. It has. Oh, are we going to death era? No, we're not death era. We are going to, like, kind of peak of WCW era. Okay. We are going to WCW Super Brawl 1998 Ooh. featuring the rematch, not the uh, the first, you know, doomed match between Sting and Hollywood Hogan for the WCW title. The rematch between the two of them as the main events and we got all kinds of guys all over the show. We got another British Bulldog match. He's <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have four straight match uh, events with a Davy Boy Smith in it. We've got, uh, damn, Rick Martell is on this? What the fuck? <laughs> Rick Martell has now appeared in three of the last four. That's weird. What the fuck was he doing in WCW <laughs> in 1998? He's on this show. We've got uh, Kevin Nash and Scott Hall versus the Steiner Brothers. We've got Lex Luger versus Randy Savage. DDP versus Chris Benoit. Chris Jericho versus Juventud Guerrera. Got some oh, interesting stuff. What the so, fuck? It's been 10 weeks since we had WCW. It is. So it was about time we were due to uh, get off the schneid and, uh, and, and, you know, watch a WCW show. So we're going to go to 98 Super Brawl next week on the Two and a Half Podcast. So that will finish up this episode. And for my good friends, Angelo Inglisa and Jake Long, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening.